Welcome to the Human Experience Podcast, the only podcast designed to fuse your left and right brain hemispheres and feed it the most entertaining and mentally engaging topics on the planet. As we approach our ascent, please make sure your frontal, temporal and occipital lobes are in their full upright position. As you take your seat of consciousness, relax your senses and allow us to take you on a journey. We are the Intimate Strangers. Thank you for listening. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of The Human Experience. This is your host, Xavier Katana. In this episode, we featured Mr. Tucker Max, a truly interesting figure. We really just dove through what it means to be an entrepreneur. We talk about mentorship and how to go about finding a mentor. Hugely interesting episode. Make sure that you grab a copy of Tucker's book, In a Box Method. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all at The Human XP. Server costs, bandwidth, all of that is killing us, guys. So make sure that you help us get you the best content out there. TheHumanXP.com slash donate. Coffee, lunch, dinner, all work. Here is, without much further ado, Mr. Tucker Max. Thank you guys so much for listening. The Human Experience is diving into the book in a box method with our guest, Tucker Max. Tucker, welcome to HXP. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. So, Tucker, I mean, you... You, I'm, I'm just going to dive in here, man. You are such a, a polarized figure. I mean, there, there's people who either like you or just don't like you, uh, putting it lightly. Uh, I mean, how do you how do you deal with criticism and, you know, based on your your early successes and who you are now? I mean, how do you deal with that that criticism that you get from people? It's not something I worry about, you know. I, I mean, I, I don't I don't know any other way to put it. it it's it's kind of funny you ask this because I'm I'm actually giving a speech about this at, uh, at like a huge conference in a month about how to have the freedom to say what whatever you want, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever you feel and and. Uh, I'm actually having to, it's one of those things where, you know, where like some, if you're really good at something and you, you're so good, you've never kind of really had to practice or focus on it. You actually have to get help to deconstruct how you do it versus if you're bad at something and you have to teach yourself how to do it, then you really kind of know exactly how you learned. This is one of those things that I'm really good at and I'm not exactly sure why or what I'm doing differently than other people. It's a super normal question. I get this all the time. How do you deal with this? And I'm always confused. Like my, my response is always, I don't understand what there is to deal with, you know, like, um, at least uh, all I've been able to kind of construct and pull apart so far is that, um, the thing that I do really well that I think a lot of, I think this is what it is. I think a lot of people mess up is a lot of people, I only care about what specific people who are close to me and meaningful to me uh, think, right? Like right. a lot of people think, oh, you just don't care what anyone thinks. That's nonsense. That, that You can't be a human, a fully functioning, uh, emotionally connected human and not care what anyone thinks. The only way to not care what anyone at all thinks is to either be a robot or a sociopath. I care what people think. 
The only, I think the main difference between me and most people is that I only focus on the people that I actually care about. And I don't have like a vague notion in my head of like, oh, what do people in quotes think? You know, like you're never going to hear me say, well, what will people say? You know, like, what do you mean? What people? Who? What are they going to say about what? You know, uh, my stepmother used to always say that. Well, what are people going to say? And I would always look at her and say, who? And she'd say, well, people. What people? Tell me exactly who you're talking about. And then I can tell you what they're going to say and whether I will care or not based on the person. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, I mean, there must be a sense of freedom for you since it, it doesn't really bother you that people are criticizing you or hating on you or whatever it, it may be. I mean, that, that must be incredibly freeing. Sort of. So, yes and no. Uh, yes, it's very freeing that I don't have a vague notion in my head of people and I, and, 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 and I like I'm not controlled by like some general notion but at the same time, I mean, I, you know, if, if, if my wife doesn't like something I do or whatever, that impacts me deeply, you know? So it's not, I, I go through the same range of emotions and have the same cares and fears that everyone does. I think the key is that I just restrict the input to only the people that actually matter to me and my life, you know? At what point did you shift from these these books that you were writing about? The, your book Mate was what seemed like a, a really interesting read on how to instruct people on finding relationships that that serve them in win-win situations, right? So, how have you evolved from I hope they serve beer in hell to book in a box? Well, the first thing I actually want to say is that I've always been about relationships that served both people. Like even when I was just drinking and hooking up, it's not like I was going after girls who were looking for husbands, you know? I mean, that would be a huge, awful waste of time. Why would I do that? The only real difference between who I was in my 20s and uh, mate is that I focused a, a lot more, I focused a lot of that book on, um, sort of uh, uh, how to, the fundamentals of how any guy can sort of build the attributes they need to get the relationship they want, right? That, that's kind of the real difference. For me personally, the transition I went through was, it was mostly about, I, I think mine might be a little bit different than most people. Like I, I didn't need help meeting women. I didn't need help uh, with any stuff like that. I needed help. I needed help connecting to myself and I needed help growing in the ways that I wanted to grow, but I didn't know how to grow, if that makes sense. So for me, there's a lot of ways to kind of to grow. Uh, and a lot of them work for, you know, differently for different people. The, the kind of package of things that worked really well for me were a combination of psychoanalysis and then meditation. The combination of those two things, which are kind of diametrically opposite ways of approaching the exact same problem, really helped me kind of connect to myself and face a lot of issues that I hadn't been facing that were kind of driving some underlying behaviors that I just didn't want anymore. That, that's kind of the high level. And I, I'll, I'm happy to dive into details if you want. Yeah, we can we can go further into the interview and then we can see where it, where it leads. I, I actually want to get into, there was something, there was something that you said 
in an interview that I was listening to for the research for the show uh, regarding success that I found incredibly impactful and powerful. You said you said that early in your early stages when you were when you were moving from your first book to Hollywood and creating this this Hollywood career. Did you m- make a mistake there? You, I, that's what I got from what you were saying was that you should have if I'm quoting you correctly, you should have built the foundations of what you were, where you were successful instead of jumping into something where it was completely new for you. Yeah. Yeah. I made so many mistakes in, in my first sort of, if you call like the sort of frat tire, the, you know, the drinking hookup stories, if that was my first career, I made so many mistakes. Uh, I made almost every mistake you can make. Um, like I, I, I don't know how much I made in that ten-year career. Let's just call it whatever, five or six million. Uh, I should have made ten times that. That's how many mistakes I made. Um, and uh, and and not that money is the only thing that matters. I'm just using money as a proxy for sort of uh, the not just the value you create, but the value you capture. I created way less and I captured way less than I should have. And the reason is because uh, one of the big reasons is as soon as I had any success with writing. My immediate sort of instinct was, oh, let's go do TV and movies, right? Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, um, I mean, I, I, I see this all the time now, and, and I understand the motivation, but you'll see someone succeed with something, and they're like, oh, yeah, that, I, I, like, that's, that's what I want to do so I can go do something else I'm passionate about or I'm good at. And I'm just like, what are you doing? But I made the same mistake, man. Like I wrote in a, a really good book that really captured a certain voice and a certain sort of perspective at a certain moment in time. And sort of all art is, uh, pretty much all art is, um, uh, it's it's time contextual, you know? I mean, there's something, Michelangelo's David, you know, whatever, which are sort of uh, timeless, but that's very rare to have timeless art. Uh, the vast majority is is contextual. And, and, and I, I hit something, I hit it right. But instead of writing all of my books right when I was sort of in, when I was personally living those stories and the time was right, uh, society, uh, culturally, I kind of tried to move away from that immediately to something else, something quote bigger, you know. And uh, what I, what I didn't understand is that the bigger things are always almost always going to be there. What's not going to be there is is sort of the you only have a certain time to capture certain things in your life. You know, you can only be 16 when you're 16. You can only be 26 when you're 26. You know. That leads, I mean, leads me back to that, that initial question of, you know, where, where are you now? So how have you gained from those, those failures? Like, what have you, what have you really truly learned from, I mean, how would you do do it differently now versus back then? If, if you could go back and tell yourself, you know, okay, like this is, this is how I should have transitioned. What would you have done differently? I mean, a lot of, uh, it's hard for me to answer that question because even I could lay out exactly what I should have done. The problem is when I was that age, I never would have done it. <laughs> you know, like I seriously, I'm 40 now, 40 year old Tucker could literally get into a time capsule and go back and tell 29 year old, 30 year old Tucker that he needs to do X, Y, and Z. And 29 year old Tucker would have fucking argued with him because he was an idiot. <laughs> like, I really would have. And so, uh, uh, I mean, the big thing I would have done is as soon as I finished, I hope they serve beer in hell. I would have written, all the sequels that I knew were there and I had in my head. And it took me like, 
four years to actually get to them. And by then I was such a different person. The book was technically better. My second and third books are technically much better than my first, but they don't have that, that energy and that joy de vivre that my first one had. And it's kind of missing that, that energy because I just wasn't in that headspace anymore. Um, and so I, like I had great art. I had a, I had a certain amount of great art in me and I got a lot less out of me than I could have because I was so focused on, I was so focused on the prizes and the rewards that I didn't hit the target. You know, <laughs> like there's the old Zen cone. If you want the uh, reward, focus on the target and you'll hit it and get the reward. But if you focus on the reward, you'll miss the target and get nothing. You know, it, it seems like you've almost become this sort of marketing genius. I mean, like you, you've nailed two, you've had at least two bestsellers, right? Three number one New York Times bestsellers. Three, okay, sorry, I don't mean to sell you short there. Um, (laughs) But, okay, so three number one bestsellers in regards to the media space and working with with people and and your the content that you create what are you doing differently that you think people are drawn to so i i think what i do it's sort of what i'm giving what i talked about at the very beginning what i'm giving my speech on if i have one real skill that a lot of other people don't have it's that i'm truly willing i am willing to be honest in a way that most people aren't And I don't want to say truthful because then it sounds like I have some monopoly on truth, which obviously I don't. But everyone can have a monopoly. I mean, no one knows. What do we, we any of us really know about objective, in quotes, truth? Nothing. But all of us know what we think and feel. And um, I have always been willing to say that. And I've always been willing to come out and say and face the hard truths, um, whether about myself or other people or whatever. And that's why my writing did so well. Uh, if you go read, I hope they serve beer in hell, my first book, um, no one is going to hold that book up as some technical masterpiece of writing, but it's sold 2 million copies today. Just that one single book, because it it's so honest and it's so raw and it's so authentic when you read it, you feel if, if in any way, shape, or form it relates to any experiences you've had, you connect with it deeply, you know. And obviously, not everyone does because not everyone acts like a drunken fool in their twenties and throws up on themselves, whatever. But a lot of people do, and those people really connected with that. And so that's that's really what art is, man. All art is about it's about helping people connect to themselves. And the only way to do that is to reflect who they really are back on themselves. And that's what I did for a certain group of people. Yeah, yeah, uh, I really connect with that. I mean, I, I really just wanna move forward with this and kind of dig into this book where you're now, you know, you've, you've done the bestsellers and now you're, you're kind of teaching people how to write their own book. Uh, yeah, more than more than teaching and then also helping them do it too. I, our, our company is more of a service company than an information company, but it's a little bit of both, yes. So, so my company's called Book in a Box. Uh, basically, um, it's kind of funny, man. The company was born out of my own arrogance, except the, the difference is 10 years ago, I would have been too arrogant to even see my arrogance. I think maybe that's the, that's the real change in me is that now at least I'm I'm aware enough to see my own hubris and arrogance and how it's holding me back. Uh, it's not gone. I'm just seeing it a little bit more. So what happened was I was at a, an entrepreneur dinner 
And this woman, Melissa Gonzalez, came up to me and she said, look, I've, ha I've had this book in my head for a decade. People have been asking me to write it for a decade, but I have a family and a business. She's like this baller entrepreneur. And she's like, I, I don't have time. I cannot sit at a keyboard for a year and, and write it and navigate the publishing process. Uh, so, but she's like, but I need this out of me. People want it. I want it out of me. How can I do this? How can I get this idea out of my head and into a book without having to go through the, the, the process? And I kind of looked at her, I'm like, are you asking me how to write without writing? And she's like, yeah, I kind of am. And so then of course I make fun of her, right? And uh, like, you can't write without writing. It's the, the it's literal, right is literally in the word, et cetera, et cetera. And she, she rolls her eyes at me and she says, Tucker, are you an entrepreneur? And I'm like, yeah, of course, uh, you know, I'd like to think so. She's like, well, I'm not sure because entrepreneurs, I'm an entrepreneur and entrepreneurs help people solve problems. You're not helping me solve anything. You're just lecturing me about hard work. <laughs> and I was like, okay, hold on a minute. Because she, first off, she was totally right. It was a gut punch call out and she was 100% right. I was just being an elitist writer snob prick. And so, of course, I became obsessed with this idea. How do I get, how do I get an idea out of her head and into a book without her touching a keyboard? Hmm. And, uh, and it all came to me one day. Duh. Socrates never wrote a word down. Jesus never wrote a word down. Buddha never wrote a word down. But we all read their books. They're, they're, you know, they're the most important books in Western culture. How did they get into books? Scribes. Someone else wrote down their words. Well, I was like, well, if Jesus can do it, why not Melissa? And so I, I wrote down every single step that, you know, because I know how to structure a book, how to everything about books I know. So I wrote down every single thing I do when I go from idea to finished book. And um, instead of telling Melissa what to do, I just got on the phone with her every time I needed her for her book, right? And because I didn't know anything about her, her subject. It's pop-up retail, right? And, and she didn't want a ghostwriter, and I wasn't in the business to be a ghostwriter. Um, I, I had no, business, no desire to learn what she was talking about. I just wanted her ideas in a book, in her voice. So every time I needed her, I would get on the phone. I would interview her until I feel like I got everything out of her head. Then um, long, long story short, we ended up with this amazing book. And from that, I, Zach and I, my co-founder, we developed a process to a structured interview process that um, clarifies the idea, you know, structures the, 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 the content, outlines it, uh, does interviews to get everything out of their head. We record it, we transcribe it and we edit it into book prose. Wow. And, um, yeah, and it, it's, it's done amazing. The company's about two years old. We've done about 300 books, um, a couple bestsellers, uh, some, some really amazing books, um, uh, it's been pretty cool, man. We've really helped a lot of people get their ideas into books and some of those books are, are amazing. Yeah, I love it. I, I think it's a fascinating idea. You fired yourself as a CEO, though. What yes. do you just feel like you you could you didn't want to be in that position, or how did that that go about? Quite frankly, I wasn't doing a good job. So so <laughs> uh, so it's kind of funny, man. It's like all right. So uh, I rec I was arrogant and elitist with Melissa. She calls me out, and and the the I recognize it, and then kind of I I I, I get humble, and I go back to sort of you know, first principles and, and beginner's mind. And, and I look at the book process again, and this amazing idea comes out of it that works, right? And so, you know, for the first six months, uh, a year, the company was doing amazing, we we're growing so fast, we we're doing this, uh, like, it seemed like everything just came to us without even 
having to do anything because there was a huge demand for this. And we really did kind of come up with a process that, that not only solved that problem, but it, and met that demand, but was genuinely like unique and useful. And then it's like, I, I kind of got back in the same problem. Like, um, it's one of those things, you know, sometimes you get, you're good at something at the beginning. So you think, oh, well, I'm just awesome, you know? Yeah. And so I was like, oh, I'm an amazing entrepreneur. Look at this company I created. Look how good I am at, at all these things. Well, it turns out uh, I had one insight uh, and that was it. And I actually didn't know how to run and scale a company, not a mature company. What I was good at was working, solving one problem that, uh, but scaling a, a business and creating a business are totally different skills. And, um, uh, the, the, the months 12 through 18, the company started, we, we're still growing, but it's like, I could feel, I could feel it coming apart at the seams, you know? And, um, and so we basically long story short, had to go find someone. He was a client of ours. He was doing a book with us. And, um, he was amazing. He's, he's, uh, he built a hundred million dollar software company. He was like employee number five there and he became the CEO or president and scaled it all the way up. And, and, uh, he'd done something else similar for Wachovia. And, uh, he's like, look, you guys have this incredible company and this incredible pro- uh, process, but you're just all screwed up all over the place, all the details. And I'm like, I know. And uh, why don't you like help me? And I was like, Kai, he was kind of coaching me. And it was like, it was clear I couldn't even learn fast enough to keep up with the company. So I kind of had to come to a decision point. What's more important, me and my ego uh, and my sense of self or the company and its success and its mission? And I, it, it, was, it was hard for me at first, man, because it, it's hard to admit that you're not good at something or you're not who you think you are or whatever. But eventually I just I faced the music and uh, he came on. I fired myself as CEO and brought him on board. And now we're, you know, we're. We're back to growing crazy, you know, amounts and doing amazing because I, I have found someone better than me to do the job that the company needed. Yeah, that I'm sure it must have been hugely difficult. I mean, I, I think there's there's an old saying: if you're if you're not intelligent, surround yourself by intelligent people. It looks like that's what you're doing. When you look at someone who is in the entrepreneurial space and they're and they're starting out i mean what is what is something that that you see that is a a failure that they're making something something common that that you that you notice with with people that they're just failing at that they could be doing better yeah so that's a great question uh it's a subset of the of my problem the exact problem i just described so many entrepreneurs forget uh that being an entrepreneur is not about you. It's about the the problem that you're solving for people. Like, here's the thing that I think people forget about with all an economy is, is a way to allocate resources, right? If I have money and someone else has an orange and I'm hungry, then we trade and we're both better off. You know, like they've, they've solved my problem. I solved theirs. Uh, that's all an economy is and and firms and and companies and 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 people and workers everything all of it is coordinating effort to solve problems that people have that create value and being but so many people who become an entrepreneur do it because they they think it's an identity or a lifestyle oh i can sit on a beach and i can take selfies and i can look cool or or i can tell people at cocktail parties that i started i have a startup or whatever uh, I mean, that stuff is perfectly fine, but it, it's only uh, meaningful if you're doing it because you actually are solving 
real problems that real people have that they're willing to pay for. If you're not doing that, you're, I don't even mean this as a moral statement. You're not going to have a company. You know, there's nothing for you to sell. There's nowhere for it to go. So you've got to, at your core, realize the only point of business is either solving someone's problem or giving them something they want but they don't have, which are not the exact same thing. Uh, solving a problem is like like book in a box is solving a problem for people. Like they want they want to turn their ideas into a book, but um, but it's too hard. The normal method that's solving a very clear problem. The iPhone the iPhone did not actually solve a problem. No one thought in 2004 that they needed an iPhone, but now in uh, 2016. Like who can live without an iPhone, right? What the iPhone did is it gave you a bunch of things that you wanted but didn't have. But they're similar enough though that you can think of them both as creating value. If you are not creating meaningful, authentic value for people that they will pay for, then you don't have a business and you are an entrepreneur. You're just acting. It seems like creating the key relationships is also quite integral to just running a business that is aiming, leaning toward success. Is that something that, that you're talented at? I mean, how are you developing the, these key relationships? Like what is, what is something that you're doing differently that maybe other people aren't doing? So, you know, what's funny, I would say yes and no. I would say creating relationships is super important for most people to succeed in life, but not everyone has to be good at that. I mean, you know, there's plenty of autistic programmers who literally can't talk to people, but they can they can create massive value in the world, you know? Um, uh, so I, I don't wanna be here and say our oh, relationships are everything because there's just evident, a lot of evidence to the contrary. But at the same time, I would actually even go further than you. I would tell you that that's the entire meaning of life that there is nothing in life that matters more than the relationships you have with the people you care about. And I, I know for me personally, uh, especially now that I have a wife and, and uh, uh, kids and, and that kind of stuff, it's like, you don't even, at least I didn't. Some people might be, no, actually a lot of people are more mature than me. I didn't even realize before I had a wife and kids what how much I was missing out on and how different like the world looks when you focus on relationships first and not yourself first. Um, but yes, absolutely. I think if you, if you are good at relationships and you can kind of leverage that and you can use that, I think you are so far ahead of almost anybody else because most people don't think about that. Even though it's the most important thing in life, most people don't think that way and they don't look at relationships that way. I think that's fundamentally changing though. I think we're seeing a massive shift in, in, um, in our economy. I mean, dude, I think, I think in 20 years at most, Pretty much all work is going to be automated, and I think we'll, we'll probably end up having a basic uh, income for people. And the only people who are rich, basic income will be more than enough to satisfy material needs. And rich people are the, are going to be the only ones. Uh, uh, the people that are rich will be the ones that create additional value, who are amazing artists or entertainers or amazing at relationships. They're amazing at connecting with other human beings. You know what I'm saying? I think that's our economy used to be based on scarcity, but I think we're moving to a world where material resources are not going to be scarce. I know it sounds crazy, but it's actually like I think I think we're getting super close. And in that world, I think you, you're absolutely right. I think you've nailed it, that that the ability to connect with other people and relate to them 
will be one of the highest, if not the highest uh, value there is. Was there, was, is there, has there been a specific relationship for you that, that has changed your life outside of your immediate family and your wife and your kids? Man, that's a tough question. Um, I, my, my, my first instinct right now is to tell you my CEO that I hired. Um, he's just such an amazing dude. And he's he's only five years older than me, so he's not like some old guy. But um, it's weird. We have very similar uh, – we're so similar in so many ways. But he has this skill set that I don't at all. Like, And I have a different skill set that he doesn't. It's, like, it's sort of like if you could combine the two of us, we'd be like – the like a uh, successful uh, businessman, CEO, creator, whatever. But like, um, he's the, I would say him right now today uh, for my whole life. Uh, man, that's a hard question. I would probably <laughs> say maybe my friend. I have a friend, Aaron Tyler, who's an amazing artist. She's got a book that's going to come out soon that I think is going to become a massive runaway hit. Um, she probably... Uh, maybe more than anyone, her or my other friend, Niels Parker, uh, in terms of the impact on my life. Niels has been my kind of creative partner uh, for years. He helped edit all my books. Uh, he wrote the screenplay with me based on my movie. He's done a, he's out in Hollywood now. He's done a bunch of screenplays and TV shows on his own. Those two people, uh, I think, probably more than anyone. So there wasn't, there wasn't a mentor type figure in your life where you were kind of gaining, no. you never had that? No, it's one of, um, I mean, it's kind of, I don't know if this was just instinct on your part or or you did really did your research, but it's one of the, um, I would say one of the both defining aspects of who I am and one of the most sort of sad for me aspects is that, um, I, you know, I didn't have really parents growing up. I I mean, I wasn't an orphan, so I, I don't mean to be like that, but like my mother was a flight attendant for Pan Am and was always gone. And my dad, uh, and mom got divorced when I was like a year or something. And so I basically spent no time around him either. So in effect, I, I kind of grew up alone and I, and I never really either had other mentors either. I just never, and it's like kind of by the time it, that leaves kind of a hole in you, you know? And, um, and, and, by the time I was at the point where I realized, man, I should really get a mentor or find someone, whatever, I was kind of too old, you know, and, and too, both too old and too pr- uh, proud, I think. It, I've never, it, which is the irony is, man, I, I've been that guy for so many people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can name 10 people, uh, a few of whom were kind of famous. Um, I mean, Ryan Holiday has gone on to do all kinds of crazy stuff. Right. And, and, and I, I, I mean, no one's mentored him more than me, you know. Um, and, and a bunch of other people, Charlie Hone and Jeff Waldman, and we get on the list. Yeah. And it's sort of like I've spent a lot of time giving away what I never got, but I've never gone out to get that myself, you know, which might be, it might be one of the reasons why, you know, like I kind of fail part of the reason, like I talked about, like I, I kind of made a lot of wrong decisions in, in my first career. I think I didn't have anyone around me who was like being like, dude, like kind of an older brother, mentor, uncle type who's like, don't do that. That's stupid. But part of the reason I didn't, honestly, is because I was too arrogant and too full of hubris. I just, I wouldn't listen to anyone, you know, hmm. which was my fault, my flaw. It's not anyone else's. 
I, I really appreciate your, your openness and honesty with that question. So I want to touch on something that you mentioned, though, within that answer. You, you mentioned that, you know, you've, you've served as this sort of mentor for all these people. I mean, how do you see, how, do you, how did you kind of place yourself in a position where you're mentoring a person like Ryan Holiday, who is making a lot of waves right now? They, they all came to me. Uh, it's not like I hung out a shingle, you know, mentor for hire. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, I think Ryan and Charlie Hone, um, both, uh, Hone is H-O-E-H-N for your listeners. Both of those two have written pretty good pieces on how to find mentors and how to approach them. And the basic gist is very simple. Um, pick people who seem to be at a place where you want to get, who have skills that you want to develop. Uh, and who seem to be, you know, kind of giving and, and, and good people, and then uh, go work for them in whatever capacity you can, whether it's paid or unpaid. Um, and uh, if it's unpaid, just keep doing amazing stuff for them until they have to hire you, which is what happened with Charlie and Ryan both. <laughs> yeah. Like they just were so amazing and kept doing amazing stuff over and over. It's like, all right, like uh, these guys are, are great. Um, that's basically what they did. They, you have to turn it into a conscious process. If you just hope someone comes along, it's like it's not going to happen. You got to go find that person. Uh, and, and the key is don't – if you go after really famous people, like if you go after like – like I'm friends with him. If you go after Tim Ferriss, good luck. Like every, <laughs> everyone tries to get Tim to mentor him, you know, right. and it's a huge yeah. waste of time because Tim's not going to mentor anyone. That's not who he is. He's never mentored anyone. It's just not his style. You know, but there are some people who love mentoring and some people who don't. So find the people who do and the ones who kind of fit with you and meet a bunch of them. And then the ones you really connect with make a conscious effort, you know, give us the step by step because I know anyone who's listening right now about what you just said, they're going to want to know how, you know, what do I do? How do I? All right. So to find it, to find an attractive mentor, it, literal step by step. So let's pretend I'm looking for a mentor. Let's say like, um, I don't know for, let's say I'm looking for a guy like me as a mentor, a writer, uh, online marketer, like smart strategy, like, you know, just kind of a, a general overall hustler. Let's, so let's say I'm 19. I'm looking for someone like me or, or even someone like Ryan, right? Okay, fine. So first what I do is, uh, I think, who do I want to be? Right? Like what type of person do I want to be? And so I make a list of all the people that are like that, you know? So like Tucker Max, Ryan Holiday, blah, 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 like, like every name. And if you can't come up with like 20 or 30 names, you're thinking way too narrow. You're thinking about like a job as opposed to a type of person. Um, so think what type of person do I want to be and who's already there? So come up with a list. Let's say you come up with 20 people. Okay, great. Now of those 20 people, uh, like learn about them, do some research, right? Uh, look for who has ever had a mentee before, who's ever talked about mentoring before, who has in sports, they call it a coaching tree. You know, some coaches, uh, uh, develop coaches like John Calipari has dozens of guys all over the country coaching, uh, that have coached under him. Whereas like, um, you know, Mike Krzyzewski only has like two or three, right? Some people have, some guys have big coaching trees. Some guys don't because some guys develop talent and some guys make it all about them. So you want to find people with, with uh, coaching trees, right? Someone who's shown a propensity in the past to directly mentor someone. Then, uh, so let's say that narrows it down to maybe 10 of the 20 
uh, have mentees, right? Or you think would even consider it. Do your research on those 10 even more. Look in, what are they like? What are they not like? What are they interested in right now, right? What, uh, um, you know, what could they use help with? And so of those 10, if you can find something they're interested in and something they could use help with, then either start sending them stuff they're interested in or start start helping them in a way that they could use help. And, and don't ask for anything. Say, hey, listen, I've read all your stuff. I love what you're doing. I thought you might be interested in this and this, or I thought you maybe could use this. So I just did it, right? Uh, see who responds. Don't say, hey, will you be my mentor? No one's going to say yes. First, yeah. show them why they would want to work with you in any degree, shape, or form. Absolutely. Right? So then get, basically give to them without expecting back. And then of those 10, if you're lucky, three of them will respond. Okay? If you're lucky. So, okay, three respond. Then keep engaging those three. Keep giving to them. And keep exploring. Hey, uh, you know, I'm looking for X, Y, Z. Do you know anyone who needs that? Right. Do you know anyone who would value that? Um, like right now, I mean, we're my company. We're looking for a ton of, of really talent. We're hiring and we're looking for a ton of talented people. But quite honestly, we're not looking for like hustling 21 year olds. We're looking for people with skills. So we got to go out and get them. Right. But if some kid came to me and he's like, and he like figured out what we're looking for or asked me and I told him and he went and connected me to like, we're looking basically for a chief marketing officer right now, someone with like a real growth hacker chops, uh, not sort of creative marketing like Ryan and I do more sort of analytical. So if he went out and found three great candidates and connected them to us, I'd be like, holy shit, this dude is a baller. And I would start talking to him to understand him and see maybe if either if he wanted a job or if he wanted to work with me on some side project I had. You know, why would I do that? Because the kid showed me that he can think independently, that he can get things done, that he's self-motivated, that he's uh, empathetic. He has all these traits already, right? It's better than any job interview. Uh, in a job interview, I'm trying to guess if someone's going to be good. This kid's already shown me that he or she are good. You know, they've already shown me by doing it, right? So, so those are kind of the steps I, I, I would do. And again, the problem is you can't just lay out specific. I can lay out general steps, but specific, the specifics are going to change based on the type of person you're going after and what you're looking for from them. You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, I think that's gold, man. I, I, I don't think there's anyone really clarifying the step-by-step instructions on how to develop a relationship with someone that you admire and are looking to be mentored by. So I really, I really appreciate your answer on that. I, I kind of want to talk about your, your angel in investing venture and what, mm-hmm. what happened there. So I spent four years, after I kind of retired from Fratire, I spent four years angel investing and, uh, you know, I invested in about 80 companies, I, I don't know, somewhere between a million, $2 million. Uh, and I did pretty well. Like I've already had a couple of good exits. I'm already, you know, sort of in the black and, and I expect two or three more major exits. Um, so I did, I did well, not as well as like Chris soccer or something, but I did very well. Uh, I, I ended up quitting angel investing for two main reasons. Uh, I, I guess three kind of. One is that there's just so many people doing it now that there's so many amateurs in the space. It's yeah. really driven up prices um, uh, and, and it's made it really hard to source deals. 
And I feel, I feel like entrepreneurship is so hot and so many people want to start a company because it's the it thing. And most of them are just terrible uh, and, and, and they just should be working for somebody else because they don't understand exactly what I talked about earlier, what you asked me about, what entrepreneurs need to know. You need to know that you're in business serving other people's needs and creating something of value. And, and I would say maybe 25% of the deals I was seeing were people who actually understood that was the core essence of what they were doing. Like most, most entrepreneurs think, oh, I'm making a cool product or I'm doing whatever. No, you're not. It's not cool if it doesn't serve anyone's needs. And that's kind of what, uh, so it was getting, that was getting very frustrating. And then the other thing was, uh, once I started booking a box, it's like, you can't be great at two things. You can be great at one thing. And um, at a time, at least, you know, there, no one's a world class pole vaulter and a world class novelist. It just doesn't happen. But Ted Williams was a world class baseball player and then a world class fisherman, uh, but not at the same time. And so um, angel investing is one of those things. If you're not dedicated to it, you're going to lose money because it's just impossible to be good at that casually. Uh, so I decided to dedicate all my time to book in a box. I admire that you've in the last 10, 15 years, I would be shocked if you didn't go through all of these sort of phase shifts in your life, you know, like you've, you've gone from this sort of fraternal writing, this sort of jokester stuff to actually serving people and creating a company that, that can, you know, help others, people that, that that don't know where to begin maybe and 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 launch them into something that they they've always wanted um is you know is is there something that you would give to budding authors or people who are looking to become authors is there a piece of advice that you would give someone that doesn't know where to start or is is trying to publish but just 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 isn't you know, isn't, it isn't happening for them. Um, well, I, like I would, yeah, I would say you need to start asking questions. Why are you writing a book? What are you hoping to get from it? Uh, if you're not able to start or finish a book, you probably don't know the answers to those questions. Um, and, uh, and then I would even go further. Why are you writing a book? Um, what audience are you trying to write for and what do you know that's relevant to that and interesting to that audience? And if you can't answer those questions, uh, I would say there's about a hundred percent overlap with people who cannot move forward as a writer and people who cannot answer those questions. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Um, you know, Tucker, what is, what is, what has been the biggest challenge for you? Like what is what is something that you deal with even now? I'm at the point in my life, dude, where uh, I don't have competition anymore. Um, my only competition is myself. And, and I mean that our bit, my company is like that. And personally, I'm like that. And um, it's weird. It's, it's, it's a hard it, – having external competition is so great because it's so clarifying. You know, if there's an enemy – then it's, it's just it's point, point me in, that, in the enemy's direction. You know, it's so easy. But when the enemy is you, it's so hard. It's so hard. And I feel like uh, this, maybe this has been true my whole life, but maybe I just now have understood it fully. I feel like the only enemy at this point I have in my life is me. Like uh, my anger, I still, I, I have such an anger problem sometimes. 
Um, and I'll tell you, you, you see that super acutely when you have a kid. Like, you can't be yelling at your fucking kid. You see it in their face. You know, I have a two-year-old son, and like, I mean, it's not like I'm screaming at him or hitting him or anything, but even just a little bit, a tiny, what I think is just like not even anger, it impacts him a lot. And so like, and I don't want that. I don't want to in any way, shape or form be like that, you know? And so like, um, and same with my wife, uh, same with everything, dude. I mean, it's like what you were talking about earlier with relationships, um, I feel like every impediment in my life to great relationships for the most part is me, um, uh, or things I bring to the table. And, um, that's, it's tough, man. It's tough when the enemy are things inside you and you've got to turn, you've got to really examine yourself and face hard truths and face painful realities. Um, but that's, that's the only place left for me to grow, you know, uh, for better or for worse. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's because I have so many problems. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is uh, one of the most honest answers that we've gotten on this show. I, I appreciate that, man. Um, so, so Tucker, what is what is your next step, man? What is the next thing for you? Dude, right now, man, it, my life is uh, family and book in a box business. That's it. You know, I, I mean, it's self, I guess. I include maybe self and family. But like... Um, Next step is, is I mean, I have a daughter due December 15th. So obviously like family, family stuff is like me working through whatever issues I have that, um, that aren't working in the context of the family. Cause my, my wife's not perfect, but she's fucking awesome. And my kid is great. And the kid coming, I assume, you know, healthy. So she should be fine. So, uh, almost, uh, if, if the family ever has problems, it's going to be because I don't fix my stuff or I'm not dealing with my stuff. Um, and then, um, business wise, um, we have a gold mine. We have an amazing gold mine on our hands. And, it, and as long as we just work the, the process every single day, we're going to not just create a huge company, but a company that helps thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not potentially millions of people write their books, uh, and share their knowledge and wisdom. And that, I mean, you know, we might not be the ones changing the world, but those books will. And, um, if we can, you know, if we can do that, like that's, there's not, there's not much bigger impact than that, you know? Yeah. Wow. What a profound statement, man. Love it. Uh, Tucker, where can, where can people find your work, sir? Uh, so bookinabox.com is my company. And then, you know, you can find me the normal places, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Uh, I have a site, tuckermax.me, which is sort of like my personal writing. I, I don't put a lot of stuff up there uh, anymore because I I have to work, you know. But that, I mean, that's where you read the, the piece about me firing myself as CEO and stuff. So there's some good stuff on there. Guys, you have been listening to The Human Experience. My guest, Tucker Max. The book is called Book in a Box Method. Make sure you go pick that up. We will see you guys next week. Thank you guys so much for listening.